Channel 250. Patrick Talon here, as always, joined alongside my two co-hosts, Luke Burrows and Nick Robinson. Uh, ton to cover today. Really excited for today's show. Uh, finally getting to that redraft. But before we get to all of that, please remember to download both the Burn Burner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire, and Fire TV Sticks. Roku and Roku Sticks also on all smart TVs uh, 2016 and forward. Gentlemen, 30 minutes earlier than our normal start time, but how are you guys doing tonight? Good. Well, Good to see you. Completely again. thrown off by this. Uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, that, that totally half an hour makes a big yeah. difference. Uh, yeah, not sure if I had enough prep. Uh, we've been talking about a redraft since like our first show on Barn Burner, and that was like a couple months ago. So the fact that we're finally actually doing it uh, is pretty exciting. I'm really excited to, to do that with you guys. But before we do, we do have a little bit more news. Um, Totally missed this. I just don't remember this being announced. Uh, Dennis Gryanov, two-year, $5.1 million deal. It's about 2.5 average. Um, again, up until this signing, people were sort of talking about the potential of an offer sheet to Dallas's notable RFAs in Hints and Gryanov. Obviously, Gryanov, they finally got locked up. Um, this is a pretty, I think, is more or less what people expected for Gryanov. What do you guys think of this deal? Well, uh, and... Go ahead, Nick, because I have to. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. (laughs) Gurianov and Vertanen, I believe, just signed identical contracts. Um, And I'm also going to check the ages here. But when uh, I know I'm going to bring Vancouver into this, because why not? Why not? Because looking at those, looking at the Vertanen contract, and I even said the Vertanen contract is good, but looking at the Gurianov contract, which isn't a bad contract, and I I really like Gurianov um, objectively, just as a player, I really like him. I, I, um, for some reason paid more attention to him this postseason than uh Which is than most. Uh he's the one that scored against Vegas, Vegas correct? Yeah, yeah we're talking Yeah, yeah it's safe to say it was his coming out party, really. Yeah. yeah. So I I I think I think this is really good. I I think um this year, definitely next year, he's gonna he's gonna make that well worth it. Yeah, no, I, I really like the deal for Dallas. Uh bridge deal is good and it helps them right now because this is the next two years is their window. Uh, of contention while they still have Pavelski and Radulov under contract. Um, you know, getting a guy like Gurionov who has shown now, especially in last year's playoffs, that he can contribute in big minutes. So that's a big plus for Dallas, and he's really going to help their depth scoring, which at times was Dallas's Achilles heel in the past. And I, I really like the deal. I really like the player. So, right. So, overall, there's still hints who's an RFA. Heiskanen's an RFA in 2022. And like you mentioned, Radulov and Pavelski, UFAs in two years. I feel like this can go very well for Dallas or there's potential that they maybe don't uh, manage their assets as well. And it could be sort of, I don't want to say a, a one-time thing to go on a couple runs, but they really have to nail the next couple years with these RFAs, make sure that they surround them with good players, keep building on the core they have now, Ben, Sege, Radulov, and, and continue to go. What do you think is the outlook for Dallas? Do you think it's a reasonable expectation for them to be a contending team in the next three to five years? Yeah. Or do you think it really just sort of depends on the next year itself to see how they end up going? I think I think Dallas is in a really, really good spot because like, look, contenders, when, when you're right, and I wouldn't say, I'd say Dallas is in their window, like Nick said, but when you're yep. kind of at the beginning of your window, it's not like you're going to have tons of tons of space to, to make a lot of decisions and take some chances. You're always going to kind of, kind of be in the spot Dallas is in so for where they are I I really like I really like where they're at and Pat you you nailed it that yeah they're they could go either way if they if they handle the next two well this offseason and next offseason properly 
really good things could be coming, but also there's a, there's a chance they don't. Um, but I think, I think Dallas is in the best spot you could hope for. It's not like, it's not like you would be in a spot where you have, it's not like you'd be as good as Dallas is and have a lot of space to do things. Yeah. So for how good they are, I think, I think this is a, a really good spot to be in. Yep. Agreed. It's a good spot now. It's just how they manage it going forward. If they can, uh, replicate their play from this postseason finally play as a team because that was the issue with Dallas for so long is being a very top heavy offensive team uh not the best defensive team by any means and they were able to actually play and sync this playoffs Nick what do you think of their sort of trajectory right now it's interesting because I, I don't know if this is harsh or not but you know it almost looks like last year's playoffs for me was a bit of a lost opportunity as in they got farther than I think a lot of people projected them to go and, you know, to come up short in the Stanley Cup final, it's still an amazing achievement for that team. But I have a hard time seeing how they're going to win, especially in their division with Colorado there in the future. I just, I know they beat them this year, but Colorado, again, this offseason has taken a tremendous step up. They, I would argue that Colorado can go head to head with absolutely anybody in the NHL right now on paper, even Tampa Bay. I, I just... I have a hard time seeing it. And I think Dallas's window is at a bad time. So that's why I look at last year when they upset the avalanche as a lost opportunity for them, not to say they can't do it again because they should still be up there with the better teams in the central division. But at the same time, you just really wish if you're a Dallas stars fan that they were able to pull it off last year. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I love Anton Kudobin. Love the story. Love how he played. Can he do that over an 82 game season or not already 82, but can he do that uh, and be that consistent? That's sort of the question. And also, if you look at uh, Dallas's scoring this year, this year, their high, highest goal score was Tyler Sagan, 17 goals. And then, or sorry, if you could sort by goals, no, it was a Gurionov actually with 20, my mistake. And then no one had more than 20 goals in this team. And there was only one 20 goal scorer. Everyone else had less than that. And there's a significant drop off once you get past uh, Ben Hintz, uh, ben Hintz and Sege, uh Pavelski, Faxa all had 11 to 10 range and everyone else had like five apiece. It's really not good. So I think they could, if Tyler Sagan can get back to that form, we know he can be at and Radulov can continue to be consistent. I think, I think it's definitely possible. Um, and the thing you got to look at with Dallas too, sorry, is, you know, considering last season and now the two upcoming, how important it is to win now. They've designed their team to do that with bringing in Joe Pavelski and when they signed Radulov, because you know, after these, I, I, I give it two years really for this team. And I think Luke said sort of around the same number because two years from now, Pavelski's contract is up. Alexander Radulov's contract is up. Tyler Sagan's going to be north of 30. Jamie Ben's going to be 33, right? And then you're starting to really wonder what the makeup of the team is then. Mm-hmm. Although you have two young studs on the blue line in Klingberg and Haskinen, it's tough to see where the forward group is two years from now. That's why the stress needs to be to win now for Dallas. Yep. Agreed hundred uh, percent. Only notable RFA right now, obviously is hence. And they do have some movable assets to clear up space. Blake Combe was only making 2.4. Uh, Radic Fax obviously signed his, his long 
long-term deal, relatively long-term deal. Um, so there are assets and, and we'll see what happens with Dallas currently $4.1 million in cap space. Let's move on to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, as obviously Dubas had an incredibly busy, busy off season uh, with all the moves sort of reshaping the bottom six, adding uh, TJ Brody, Zach Bogosian, uh, plenty of moves for him. And I think the final one he had to make, at least we could say, was uh, Travis Dermott got his qualifying offer one year, 874 k uh, roughly. They have no notable RFAs to sign, and at least I'm pretty sure no other RFAs to sign. Uh, this is a lot less than people expected. Dermott's an excellent uh, bottom pair defenseman. What do you guys think of this deal? I like it for Toronto. Obviously, it's a big win to get a younger, very effective player in Dermott. He's crushed his limited minutes so far in his NHL career. He hasn't faced great competition, but as a sheltered third pairing defenseman, he's been absolutely everything you can ask for, for that team and has provided depth in a position. They don't have a lot uh, of there. So obviously to get him on the rate that they did, even if it's just for one year really adds emphasis to next year for the Toronto Maple Leafs, because, you know, it feels like for the past couple of years, we got, we keep saying, you know, this is a really good chance for Toronto to really climb the summit. But, and as long as you have Matthews, Marner, Nylander, you're going to have chances to win. But the past couple of years, we all know the Leafs should have done better. Pressure is now on when you have Dermot at this cheap for one more year, because I doubt he takes something similar under a million bucks longer term next year. You look at the bottom six now, plenty of guys making under a million bucks, plenty of guys that are UFAs coming up. The emphasis is next year for Toronto. And I think this deal just further hammers home that point. Yeah. I think to basically reiterate what Nick says that like a deal like this and it's a good deal, no question, but yeah, they seem to be just kind of squeezing, trying to squeeze under the cap, obviously. Um, and looking at, looking at Toronto's both third lineup for, for this year, first of all, really, really good lineup. I like, that's going to be a really good team. But then when you look at whose um, who's contracts are up and what their next offseason is majority look like, of the bottom six, really, it's it's scary. So it's and like Nick says, it's not even like it's not even like, yeah, they've got a few years to do it. They need to do it soon. It's literally they have to basically do it. Yeah. This year. So yeah. it's it's going to be super interesting to watch because if if they don't do it and you know, like not even just to bash on them statistically, they probably won't do it. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next year, how they try to keep, um, keep what well, they're going to probably keep their core together and how they oh, go yeah. about doing that. And that, that's just the reality in the cap era, you, having those four players, you have, to, you have to keep them. And I know every single time playoffs, regular season, whenever there's sort of a Toronto's in any sort of period of struggle, it's one of the big four that people criticize. People criticize TSN spent an entire segment on, on free agent frenzy, uh, Craig button, Mike Johnson, all of them criticizing the John Tavares contract. You know, every single year this happens. Uh, what you have there, that's all, those are fine pieces to add. And I like the Thornton move, especially. And, and I think the VC move 900 K that's very uh, low risk, high reward. But the fact that all of those guys are UFAs next year, it leads to question what Dubas is going to do next summer when, yeah, they have prospects, they have Hollander coming up. Um, you still have other pieces, someone like Nick Patan, like there are still options there, but longer term, the outlook for Toronto's bottom six is not as uh, it's not, I don't want to say it's bad, but it's not, uh, it's not something that should be. And it is concerning, you know, yeah. where they do have the top pieces locked up and that those are the most important parts of a hockey team is those top pieces. And they have that in abundance 
But at the end of the day, the bottom of the roster, we're seeing it more and more in the league now. Depth is just so important, especially in the playoffs. Um, you know, how many guys cycled through for the Lightning this year? It's just really important. And, you know, while Kyle Dubas definitely does deserve a lot of credit for how he's gotten the Leafs cap compliant this year, and the team looks really, really good on paper, uh, you know, if they don't win this year, then questions are going to be asked about the job uh, in terms of sustainability, what he's done. Because while you do have to look short term, you also have to be mindful of, you know, two, three years down the road and what the roster is going to look like. And right now for Toronto, that's really, really unclear. But, you know, given the fact that they've drafted well the past couple of years, you sort of give them some leeway a bit here and, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to figure this out. Right. And we've always said, like, look, whenever we've talked with Leafs, I always sort of, I haven't defended their playoff play because their playoff play has been unbelievably underwhelming and they should do better, but I've never really understood the uh, obsession to win right now. I don't think Toronto's time to win was last year. I don't think it was the year prior. I thought they would do better and I never really understood the rush, but now you're looking at these and I'm not saying that they are band-aid solutions in a negative sense because Dubas didn't have a choice. That's, that's, that's the reality when you have those big contracts, but do you think that these are band-aid moves and do you think next year it's going to look even worse uh, for Toronto? Luke, we'll start with you. I don't like, I don't, when, when I, when I hear the term band-aid move, I immediately think like, like a, a scramble just to, just to patch a hole, right? That's essentially what it is, I guess. I don't see these moves like that per se. I think I like, they seem to be very, um, very calculated moves based on the situation they were in. So absolutely. Yeah. Band-aid moves. No. Um, I don't mean that as like a negative term. I mean, but like, no, I know, but like, it's kind of the, the, the kind of moves that, that Dubas made with, with Thornton, um, you know, with, with all those older guys, what, like it's, it's, he, he's clearly deciding to take a route. There's a number of routes you can right. take um, to, to kind of, close out your roster for the year and and i i think that's a that's a that's a fair uh it's a fair gamble to take so no i wouldn't i wouldn't call them kind of you know scrambly just just patch the holes so we can get this team on the ice and you know it's a negative way to look at it but no i i i think this is a these are good decisions that have been made yeah no i i think i think that's the, the reality like we've been saying having that cap i think they're good decisions and given the what's been so tight for Toronto adding all of those pieces for pretty cheap. Like that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good management yeah. by, by, by Dubas for VC and Thornton Simmons. That's a move I don't like at all. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Wayne Simmons, but someone like Thornton will be really effective in their, in their bottom six. So it's not that they're, they're bad moves, but it's just the long-term outlook that people are worried about. And honestly, I do think if, if depending on Tampa's cap situation, cause I don't think anyone's going to help them. Boston is injured. Toronto has a chance at being the top uh, Atlantic team, but we will see what happens with that. That's too much Leafs talk, guys. Come on, let's be real. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the Winter Classic and the All-Star Weekend. Uh, it won't be happening. Well, it's postponed for now. Um, it won't be happening. And, yeah, it won't. And it won't be happening. Winter Classic, I'm more upset about. I never. I, we've had this conversation. Conversation. I've never really been huge on the All-Star Weekend, All-Star Game. I know it's fun for the fans, but postponed. It's expected. Good idea. COVID is still around. People are getting sick. Not much really to explain. Well, I, I um, Yes, I agree with you, but I'm kind of the opposite. I've never really cared much for the Winter Classic at all. I don't remember the last time I've watched it. I think 
I might have watched like the first big one years ago. I love the All Star Weekend. I I watch every event on All Star Weekend. I think, I think you just super... like to say the opposite of what I say. I think so. Uh, <laughs> but like I All Star Weekend, I love seeing the personalities. Like you see the personalities of the players. That's my favorite part. But regardless, um, I hadn't even thought of these two events in no. terms of like uh, it just what, seems so what the NHL is going to do this season. It just seems like it's such not a big deal right now, given yeah, everything like, else that's yeah, going on in the yeah. world. It's a complete afterthought at this point. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm i not in the boat of hating the Winter Classic. I actually quite like outdoor games. I don't hate it. I, uh, just don't I, like I, I know like Luke it. hate it. Luke hates it. I know I, a lot I of really people <laughs> freaked out. What was it, back in like 2014 or 2015 when the NHL had like eight, eight outdoor games or something like that? I loved that, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one key news that came out of this too, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, rumored proposition to play a battle of Alberta on Lake Louise. Wow. That was, that was something that was rumored and thrown around. uh, But the NHL did come, they did come down and uh, shut that down. Yeah. Like it's, it's, no one was really upset by it. Um, Again, I I love the idea of outdoor games. I think it's really like the aesthetic is very cool not to use that word but it, it does look pretty cool to see that um, i can't imagine but, one without fans though like that's yeah, just pointless no point. to me right which yeah. is why which is why i really don't think they're gonna do one yeah exactly uh just wanted to, to, to clear that up but let's move on to david uh pagnotta uh or at the fourth period nick if you're able to uh pull that up tweeted i'm told by a high-ranking source an 82 game regular season is quote still still realistic if the season starts in and around january 1st uh, ending mid to end July. There are clearly numerous factors in play, travel fans, etc. but the NHL wants to maximize the amount of games in the 2020, 2021 season. There it is. Um, again, that's sort of, we know it'll be a condensed schedule. I don't think we knew up until this tweet, or at least I didn't think it would be 82 games. I thought they were looking for 50 to 60 from any, anything I've read, but players are going to get worn out. And this is where, as we've talked about with many teams, depth is key. Having lots of rest is key. Um, do you guys think it's a good idea to have an 82 game season over the well, course of that? Good God. Time? If there's a Canadian division, 10 games uh, <laughs> of provincial rivals, you know, it, like close distance rivals. I I'm talking Ottawa, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, uh, you know, Vancouver is going to be playing both Alberta teams like we're, we're talking like 10 times a year here. If, uh, if that's, if it's an 82 game season, if the Canadian division is a thing they're they're actually going to go with, which I, you know, we've talked about it before. I really think they are going to go with that, but I'm surprised 82 games is something that they're still aiming for. I would have thought um, they would just sort of quote unquote sacrifice next season, you know, yeah. get it short and reset the NHL timeline to the way it should be with yeah. an 82 game season starting 2021, 22. I thought that was what they were going to go with, but I, I see some of the motivation uh, behind trying to have a full regular game, uh, right? Sorry, full 82 game regular season. I see the motivation on the NHL side just financially, but right. I, I don't know how feasible it is. Well, yeah, and I, I agree with you, Nick. And when you when you look at the timing of this, I like you, you have to wonder how this is going to work because if you're doing 82 games starting January, ending, I'm assuming that means regular season mid July, you can maybe have the Stanley Cup awarded by early September. Like, Wait, are we mid- weren't, no one's even looking at playoffs. 
right? Like, but, but make- that's that's the thing. Yeah. How how can you make this happen? And then you're just gonna have to do the same thing for exactly. next season. And then even then you'll have to do this. Like you're you're they're they're because this one finished in October. This next one looks like it might finish in September if they go with this. You're cutting off a month. How many times are you gonna have to do that? I, I think, end like just get the season, end it, maybe in August, in July or August. Just do whatever you can so you can start next season under the assumption that things wouldn't hopefully be close to normal. These are more normal. And start next season on time because doing like doing this again and cramming that again i just i you're just setting yourself up for years of just right. doing this over and over again so. and i saw and this was just a tweet i saw it this is no there's no reliable source for this but something just someone's idea i don't remember who, who tweeted it having a different playoff format maybe having a, a couple first rounds as a, a best of five like we saw earlier i would rather have a short shortened season uh and but people were worried about a shortened season in the 2013 lockout, and it worked just as fine. No, like, it was perfect. It was, it was, it was perfect. Yeah, that year. and every like teams were able to jump back in, no issues, and and the playoffs continued as they should. I think that's what the NHL should be looking to do here: reduce it to 40, 50, probably max 60 games, and then have a regular playoff series. Don't do 2014 format. You can't do that again. That was too much. And do it the normal way. I think, I think this, and and I know it's early. Um, but although he does say it's a high ranking source that it's still realistic. I don't think this is a good idea. I think players are going to get worn out. That's too much travel. People are going to get sick. I just think it's very risky. And I think the NHL would be wise to take a step back and reassess the situation and, and, and look at what's better long-term. And that would be 40, 50 games. I think we're all uh, in agreement there. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I do know, and I know we've said this before, but a Canadian division, like, I don't even know if we'd be able to do the show. Like I'd be cooking, I'd be kicking out my roommate as well. You know what? That, I, I think, like, I think that would idea. get some good content for the show. Oh, we we oh, could yeah. sit here and preview every Toronto or every Vancouver, Montreal game, every Montreal, Ottawa game, Ottawa, Vancouver. Like we could sit here and literally yeah. preview it all. Right. Yeah. I think that would give us some good content. You know, we might be a little more angry at each other. It might be Probably. a little bit of unpleasantry in the show, but Probably. that's, uh, that's part of the fun. And, you know, it is what it is. All right. Um, it is time. The long-awaited uh, redraft. We've been talking about this. And in the theme of things, 2020 has been the worst year in the history of the planet ever. And we would like to sort of commemorate the last 10 years by doing an NHL redraft, starting with the 2010 draft. So we're going to pull that up. Um, we have our Google Doc um, with our pick numbers, who we're all picking, Um the, and we're also going to compare the top 15 uh, from that draft as well, because it is nothing what we would have now. Um, there if we is were our... in a studio, we might have some nicer CG than this, yes. but, uh, you know, we're going with what we've got right now, and uh, this is it. Okay. This is so, what you'll get. Nick, do you want to go uh, with, with the first pick? I'll pull up the... Uh... I can pull up the original original yeah. draft and where those players. Well, it's already there. Well, we've actually. got it there. We've yeah, got so, the original pick. So um, Taylor Hall went yeah, first. Taylor overall. Hall was the one that went. Sorry, I'm just trying Let's to see if uh, there. there we go. All right, uh, Taylor Hall did go first overall. Uh, I'm not going to go with Taylor Hall. I'm going to go with a guy that went in the sixth round. Going to go with Mark Stone first overall. Um, you know what can I say about Mark Stone? I've had the pleasure of watching him uh, over the years best defensive winger in the NHL he scores as good as anybody in this draft 
uh, in my opinion. I just, I, I can't, I love T- Tyler Sagan. I love Taylor Hall. And I know it was Taylor versus Tyler that year, but it just right now, given the defensive value that Mark Stone brings, as well as the fact that I think he can score just as well as Hall or Sagan, I have to take him first overall for me. Okay. Um, I also have Mark Stone and I, I, I love, like, like Nick said, uh, I love Taylor Hall. I love Tyler Sagan, but watching Mark Stone and all the criticisms he gets for his skating, he's able to counter that with unbelievably smart defensive play, great positioning. We saw a playoff montage of him making smart stick checks, lying a stick down to stop pucks. He is a playoff gamer and more, more so than, what I've seen from Tyler Sega and Taylor Hall is also a huge factor in my decision. I love watching Mark Stone hated him on Ottawa, but, but just the, the player himself, I, I don't know how you couldn't put him first overall, which is really, really cool considering he was uh, a sixth round pick uh, almost, almost a seventh round pick, just two spots away. That's super cool. And I'm going to go with Mark Stone, Luke. Well, surprise, surprise. Uh, Marcus Stone. Uh, from okay, I, I actually Max. didn't think you were gonna go with him, so yeah, I'm same. glad. I'm glad. Yeah, really? You did. Yeah. yeah. You seemed well, like a like a Tyler Sagan. Well, here's the thing. Like, I uh, comparing <laughs> comparing the players in general, it's tough. But I just I think I'm, I'm and I'm not gonna just repeat everything you guys just said. Um, but I think finding a Mark Stone is is more difficult than finding a Tyler Sagan. Um clearly both good uh in different thing in different aspects of the game but i just think what mark stone brings is is a bit harder to find than what um i'm assuming we're all talking about tyler Sagan. what tyler Sagan brings so all right something tells me there's going to be a bit of a taylor versus tyler battle at number two as opposed to number one uh i am in that loop i go with taylor hall uh the Hart Trophy makes the big difference for me. Like that one year, he was so electric for the Devils a couple of years ago. Um, you know, while Sagan is probably the more valuable position at center, I just think Sagan's benefited a lot more in his career from playing with uh, really good teams as opposed to Taylor Hall, who is, I don't think there's anybody in the NHL, name me one superstar that suffered more from bad environments than Taylor Hall throughout his career. Uh if Taylor Hall played, I think, on the early Bruins that Sagan did or with the Stars, I think he'd be a 90 to 100 point scorer every year like he was with New Jersey when he won the heart. Um, just more of an individual game-breaking player for me. I think he's excellent. Uh, big fan of Taylor Hall, so I'm going to take him at number two. Okay. Uh, I have Tyler Sagan here, um, and I... I'm probably going to contradict myself later on, but uh, I'm always in favor of the center. And I know I'm saying that while I just took a winger first overall, but um, he leads the entire class in games, played goals, assists and points. And yeah, you're probably right. Nick, he did benefit more, Um, but just, and honestly, this probably is looking at the teams Taylor Hall has played on. Yeah. He probably hasn't really benefited. um, But in part, a lot of the teams he went to, the expectations were extremely high for both Taylor Hall and the team. And I don't think, in a lot of ways he delivered. And, and I think Arizona is the, is the perfect example of that. So for that reason, I have Tyler Sagan ahead of him. Well, good, uh, good choice there, Patrick, because <laughs> I would have to retweet that. Um, and hopefully you guys don't yell at me about my next one, but I'll, I'll uh, leave it with Sagan. Now I think this one, like same thing, same thing, same reference I made with stone. I like, I think Sagan is the best player in this draft for a lot of, a lot of reasons. Um, 
and I, I'll talk about Hall in a second, but I think Sagan's best player in this draft for a lot of reasons. I explained why I took Stone over him, but I, I think there's a lot of scenarios where you take, you know, the offense that Sagan brings. I, I don't really buy into the, the who he's played with as, uh, as much as you guys have discussed. I mean, I guess when you're comparing him to Hall, yeah, you have to make that argument. But I mean, aside from the past, the, like the past few years and, Aside from Ben, like Radulov, I, I also wouldn't wouldn't put too much stock into in regards to that conversation. So just I, I feel like that this one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but it's it's the next few picks that might get some flack from you guys. So well, uh, third overall, if it ain't broke, don't fix Eric Goodbranson. No, uh, uh, Tyler Sagan for me, uh, for all the reasons that you guys just said for taking him at two, uh, makes just as much sense to put him at three. I, he, I don't, I don't know what else to say. You guys pretty much said all the good stuff about him. I'd still take Taylor Hall ahead of him, but, uh, you know, Florida went with Tyler Sagan at three in this draft. They're laughing. Well, while Luke was saying he was worried about his next pick, uh, don't get mad at me for anyone who had Taylor Hall, but I have uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. Oh, thank God. Okay. 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 I, I had a feeling. Um, yeah. Oh, that doesn't look good. Let's just do. Let's just do Tarasenko. Let's just do his name, maybe. Stevie the... Tarasenko. Yeah. Tara... There you go. Vlad Senko. Tarasenko. Um. Uh. Sega only has sixty-five more goals than Tarasenko but has also played more than 200 more games. And Tarasenko's like four, five consecutive seasons of 33 goals, and his playoff numbers are unreal. And, because, and I know, obviously, that's like what you have to look at is Hall has not played a ton of playoff hockey, whereas Tarasenko has. But just the fact that Tarasenko has and done extremely well, um, I have to put him there. So that's my, uh, that's my pick. And I know Luke has the same. So, What did you know? V. I don't think you have Klingberg instead. Vlad <laughs> fit Tarasenko. Perfect. Um, yeah. So I'm not a big fan of Taylor Hall, and it's it's kind of like personal. Sorry, no, it's not personal. Symmetry. But <laughs> it's like I don't I don't really know why. It's it's almost like a, a vibe check. I don't he do, I don't get good vibes from him. Um, he's a great hockey player, but the way he's kind of bounced around, like the the things you kind of you know, like, I feel like, I feel like I'm not alone in this. Like you gotta, you gotta sense from the kind of player Taylor Hall is he can score goals, but um, I, I don't let him drop any lower than four, but uh, I, I thought it was a pretty easy choice for me at least to put Hall or to put Tarasenko above him. I think that's fair. And I mean, last time I criticized Taylor Hall, I was accused of, I was told because he didn't sign in Montreal, but there are issues with Taylor Hall's character. And this has been well-documented over the course of his time in junior hockey uh, the kind of person Taylor Hall is, and I don't want to make this sound super personal, but there are there are instances of him as an off ice doing things off ice that that I guess rub people the wrong way. And we have seen like the amount of teams he's gone to that have ended up being in the lottery. Like, and it's also weird because he also won the heart. He is a weird player. I do think he should not be anywhere uh, past fourth. But um, for me, that's just why I have Stone, Sega, and Tarasenko. I agree. I agree, Patrick. Good awesome. thinking. But you guys are making this really boring. Uh, (laughs) I could probably fit him in. I could probably fit his full name in. John Klingberg, uh, I went at four. Uh, 
A, because I really wanted to get a defenseman high up there, but B, just because I think John Klingberg is an excellent offensive defenseman, one of the better offensive defensemen in the game. Um, you know, again, I, I think he is the type of player that would have benefited more in his career to this point with a bit more favorable usage as in, you know, he, he plays a lot of hard minutes for Dallas. It's been eased up now with the presence of Miro Heiskanen. And I think that's when we've really seen John Klingberg shine. He was excellent in the playoffs this year. Um, I think he's, he's kept the Dallas stars competitive on the back end for a long time now. And ever since he was drafted there. So I'm a big fan of John Klingberg. And again, it's pretty neat for a player that went a lot later in this draft than fourth overall to be right up there for me. Uh, I like the arguments about having Tarasenko up high, um, but I think John Klingberg's health and his consistency is something that has played into me putting him higher up there. Oh, okay. Um, this is where I have Taylor Hall. Uh, I, I know we just talked about him, but I could not have him anywhere past fourth. And I sort of already justified my reasoning for having Tarasenko, Sege, and Stone ahead of him. I do like Taylor Hall, and I would love to see him with better players, and we'll see how he does with Eichel. Um, although I don't think the test for him is to see how he does with Eichel. I think the test with Taylor Hall is to see how he does once he signs his big free agent contract or the long-term deal after Buffalo and who knows where that will be. So um, for that reason, I have him at fourth. Luke, yep. do, you a, do you have him at fourth? I also have him at fourth. Pat, we, uh, we seem pretty coordinated here. You guys yeah. are making this really this boring. Is, this is strange, but Luke and I never agree. Luke just likes yeah. to disagree with me. So we'll, this is a... This um, is a yeah, honestly, and I'll, I'll talk about Klingberg in a sec, but um this is just i'm putting him here because i i just i can't really let him drop any lower but there there's a few guys here that um that aren't named that maybe at least one guy here that isn't i haven't named yet that i would maybe even put above him so again what? like like i'm interested i'm interested in seeing well that. it's okay yeah oh it's it's, um, it's, it's anderson don't, don't spoil it it's don't not freddie anderson um no i just i think yeah we've, we've talked enough about taylor hall i there's no uh, there's no questions about the fact he can score. There's just some other um, some other questions that we probably don't need to get into. So, okay, uh, okay, I've got your boy here, uh, Vlad Tarasenko. Again, you guys pretty much covered all the bases with him, but uh, I, I would still say he's definitively the fifth best player in this draft class for me. I think you know one thing with Tarasenko is he's had a lot of terrible injuries in his career and especially right now you know he was essentially a non-factor last season for St. Louis and um, depending on what we get started this year he might not be a huge factor for them as well but he was brilliant in the Stanley Cup playoffs when they won the cup uh, a couple of years ago and um, you know one of the best pure goal scorers in the NHL right now but for me it's the health that drags him down a bit and he just you know hasn't been able to stay healthy for me. But, uh, you know, not, not that not that I should base this completely off of health. I think I would have a better idea. I think Vladimir Tarasenko would be a lot more higher rated than he is. It's not like he was, he was brilliant before the injuries. He's still a brilliant player, but a lot of his legacy has been taken back. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I guess how much are we factoring in? Well, I guess we would have to because mm, – Okay. It's hard. It's hard. I also just purely think in terms of talent, he's the fifth best player in this draft. Like I'd still take those guys ahead of him. That's kind of what I'm going with for my picks, but yeah. Luke, do we want to type bars at the same time? Well, okay. Three, two, one. I'm already going. Oh, why I'm doing, I'm putting some respect on his name. 
But okay. Uh, yeah, so again, I agree. This is actually pretty impressive. I didn't think that we'd be this in sync, but uh, I, no, doubt, I, I doubt the next one is the same. Yeah, uh, I think after five is when this starts yes. to open up a bit. And especially like 11 to 15 is when it gets really, really, I think that's, I don't think any of us will have the same ones. But yes, I agree uh, with Nick. I think high skin sort of taking or alleviating some of the pressure off of uh, Klingberg has helped. I still think Klingberg. Um, I th- he gets sort of labeled as a shutdown defenseman often by the media. Uh, I don't really see that in, in a lot of the underlying, his underlying numbers. I think he's a good defenseman. I think he's a good two-way defenseman. He's excellent on the power play, but I don't think he's like the shutdown guy um, on Dallas. I think he's good. Um, and I couldn't have him not at fifth given everyone else that's after. So I have John Klingberg. All right. Yep. So I, I think this is when it starts to open up. Luke, do you have anything else to add on John Klingberg? No, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause I'm excited to see what we do here. Okay. I think that's Whoa. I think that's how you spell his name. Whoa is my reaction. Is that how you spell his name? Really, Pat? Is that how you spell Johansson? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's Ian. Yeah, I go Ryan Johansson here. Um, you know, at times Whoa. he has shown to be a brilliant center in his career. Struggled a lot with consistency. I think like last year he was definitely a step below what the Nashville would have liked him to be, but um at times he has been really good for uh nashville he was really good early in his career with columbus and uh the seth jones ryan johansson trade has aided both franchises to a degree um you know he was nashville's number one pivot for a long time and you know he probably more of a number two guy now i would say but still very uh effective his underlings have dipped a bit but i i still like ryan johansson i've always been a fan Hmm. well i have him not there uh and he hasn't scored more than 16 goals in like the last like five six seasons i didn't realize how little but i also think and this is a discussion for another show and i know i'm getting off topic we should definitely talk about seth jones not being the best defenseman on his team because i don't think he is and i think i've been thinking that for a while so who is can you i would i i have a feeling it's Wierenski. oh it's not i don't oh. think so i disagree Okay. Uh, Do you well, think I, it is? Nick? Do you think it's Jones? Yeah, I think it's Jones. <laughs> I think no. I think it is Jones, but like it, it's not Jones. Never mind. We'll get to this later. But I was reading. Yeah, I, Jay, I, I totally understand what you're saying, Pat. Jay Fresh had an article about how a lot of his results have been pretty average, but he has so much potential to be that, and he only shows his top pairing potential in spurts and is not a consistent player. Anyway, right. at number six, I had uh, Frederick Anderson. Ew! He took a goalie high. <laughs> Can, can I can I say something? I'll get this out of the way. Frederick Anderson's not my fifteen. Wow, really? Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, is what I would say to yeah, that. Like that, um, that, he's he's my honorable mention just because I feel like you should go with forwards here. But I do think he is a little overrated. I do think he is inconsistent. Although I think a lot of sounds like inc- a great six overall so far. <laughs> Although I do think a lot of the criticism for him. Uh, like the Leafs just give up a lot of high danger chances. And I think a lot of the stuff he faces aren't really his fault. Some of it is, but some of it isn't. And I think when he's at the top of his game, he is one of the better goaltenders in the league. Uh, his wins are the most among goalies in 2012 and 2010. Uh, I do think he is a, probably a top uh, eight to 10 goalie in the NHL. I might even go mm. six to 10, maybe. I think eight um, to 10. I think okay. 10. I haven't, I, I, I don't, like goalies are hard to evaluate, but I would, pro- I, I do think he's in the 
eight to 10 range or seven to 10, whatever you want to call it. But I have Anderson at six. Luke? Ryan. I have Ryan as well. And um, Nick, you kind of nailed it. Uh, consistency is the biggest thing for me, but this pick is probably the one that is most importantly um, based on, like I said, just best player in the draft. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of questions around this guy, and I and I think there's maybe some some safer picks for sure. And that's funny to say that ten years later, but just if I'm if I'm picking best players in the draft, which I am, I I I have to go with this. Um, and actually, you know what? I I was gonna go into another tangent, but I'll save it because he's coming up soon. So yeah, no, with Johansson, you know, four and a half years with the Predators, two really good ones, two meh ones. Yeah. But I would, but like still... he's he's a he's he can be a really good player. So that, that right. that's what I'm looking at. Like you know, right. I, so I would still keep him up here. Uh, Patrick's gonna hug me. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I have Brendan Gallagher at pull seven. Pull up the thing. I pull up the photo. I put. I put in the thing. We yeah. I, Everyone look at that. Brendan Gallagher is a great player. Um, you know, he's underrated. Very underrated in terms of what he does for Montreal, and very deserving of the fresh contract he just got. It's a big ticket. Uh, but I think it's finally everybody's starting to recognize how good this guy has been since he came into the NHL. He's been, you know, probably Montreal's in at least that. Montreal's top two forwards for at least the past couple of years and just, or sorry, not the past couple of years, most of his career. Um, you, look at this, the highest goals per game in the draft class. He is the, the sixth highest. I have him drafted at seven. So I, again, not that far off from uh, just the pure goals per game basis, but you know, very, effic- very efficient player and uh, has nice courses. And I always like that in a guy. Do you have a seat map as well? Uh, did you send me a heat map on him? Maybe not. I think so. Uh, that's not. That's just me. I'm just getting excited. No, but yeah, uh, at seven, I also Brennan Gallagher. <laughs> I also Brennan Gallagher, uh, one of the most underrated uh, offensive right wingers in the entire league. Uh, steal of a contract before at three point seven or whatever he was making, and he's a steal of a contract now, even at six point five. Some would say underpaid. Um, and I have Gallagher at seven. I don't care too much for Brendan Gallagher. Well, uh, you know who whatever. I do care for is F. Anderson. Oh, hold on. Full screen just took over. F. Anderson. Um, I like I like to rip on the. Le- I think we all like to rip on the Leafs. I think that's uh, that's an agreed upon pastime. We I think share. I think we're fair generally in our analysis oh, with the Leafs. I think we yeah. I, I, we analyze them fairly, but I think I think we give it to them when they need. To I, be think we, I think we are fair. I just think we joke about them, but we, we also do. do that to our own teams. It's not really we a big do. deal. We, we, like don't, we don't compliment them per no. se. Well, if they, if they make nice moves, I think we're very quick to give them credit for doing so, but maybe anyway, I hate the Leafs. Um, <laughs> Freddie Anderson. I think, I think like the Leafs aren't good in playoffs. And I think a lot of that, not all of it, some of it, can uh, you can point the finger at their goaltending? Regardless, he's he's a really good goalie and um, kind of. If I, if I was drafting this like an actual draft, uh, I would I'd probably put him there or higher just because he's a goalie. Um, but it's and I, I think Pat, you kind of talked about it. It's tricky 
to, it's tricky to, you know, grade goalies in general, but it's tricky to talk about him specifically because of the team in front of him, especially the defense in front of him. So I think that's a fair spot for him. I could put him higher, to be honest. Okay. Tyler Toffoli is my eighth guy. Um, Yeah. Shout out both of you again, uh, one of the better scorers in this draft. And I thought, I always thought he was going to be a lot better than he has been. I thought he was going to be like a consistent 40 goal scorer at one point back when uh, he, he was with LA after the first or after their second Stanley cup championship, his first, um, but still been again, very similar to Gallagher for me, very effective in his time on the ice. Um, I'm going to go with, mm, that doesn't look good. Um, he's pretty like, he doesn't generate a lot offensively. I didn't realize that until we were messing that, around. That's Evgeny Kuznetsov for people listening. Yeah, sorry. I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I really like him. I love watching him play. He's super fun in the playoffs. He's like, I, I think it's skill wise, maybe he doesn't show up in his underlying metrics. He can do everything. Great shooter, great hands. Uh, say what you will about his celebration, but I have Evgeny Kuznetsov right there. I love this, Ellie. Yeah. Um, I think a super, super safe pick, if I can just copy Jaden Schwartz. Uh, maybe some some skilled guys that are that are left below him. But I think if you want consistency uh, and you want a good player, Jaden Schwartz. All right. Well, I'm going to go for the definition of inconsistency. <laughs> Jeff Skinner at nine. Uh, you know, this year he was coming off a 40 goal season and then dipped to 14 goals, 23 points uh, last season. But I, not to take anything away from Jeff Skinner, he's been, uh, again, you know, he was very good in his time with Carolina and I, he suffered a lot from bad puck luck at times in his career. But when he's had good puck luck, he's had it in crazy abundances. He's got a 37 goal and a 40 goal season to his career. Not many players in the draft uh, boast that. Well, I do like Jaden Schwartz in terms of consistency i just jeff skinner has produced bigger quantities in the past so i take him at nine while he is a more productive or while he is not more productive than tyler Toffoli, i didn't think you guys would have him that high i will finally put i had him a lot lower before i'll put ryan johansson here um and this is in part because expectations were him for for him were so high like really really high fourth overall and i do think he's he's a good center but looking at his and i'm just looking at the numbers here he doesn't generate a ton he's fine two-way but not having more than 14 goals in the last six seasons is pretty underwhelming not a huge point guy and i just think i only have him i probably actually would have had him at 10 but because he's he plays center and plays a more important position i'll keep him at nine um just not impressed with with what he he became. And I don't think he's going to get much better than he is. I think he's sort of plateaued. And I think this is sort of it with Ryan Johansson, even though he has the potential, I just, I don't see it. Luke. Um, I don't really want to talk about this guy too much anymore. Brendan Gallagher at nine. And I think we can leave it at that. Cause I think he's got enough airtime today. Wow. I think <laughs> you've got enough airtime today. <laughs> that was a good one. Nice. Uh, Patrick just had him up a couple of picks ago, but I'm going to go with Evgeny Kuznetsov at 10 for me. Um, Again, brilliant score. He puts up a lot of points. He was amazing for them when they won the Stanley Cup, but I would say his underlyings point to the fact that he may be far too disengaged on the ice than uh, other players here in the class. So I put him lower at number 10, but I still Um, like the player. Okay. Uh, 
Luke, I don't know if you are aware. He only played a couple games for you, for your, for your guys over there. Uh, also signed a four-year deal with Montreal. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, very productive. And I think he can be even more productive with a playmaking center who isn't Jeff Carter uh, at the age Jeff Carter is at. We saw how well he did in Vancouver. You don't think he's ever played with a, a good center? Is that That's what you're saying? That's not what I, I just said. We saw what he can do in Vancouver with younger playmaking players and he can score. And I do think 25 to 30 goals. Is Montreal going to bring in one of those or what are Oh you yeah. Very funny. Very clever. Who's your, who do you have at 10? We'll, we'll see what he goes from with, uh, <laughs> Pedersen to Kakanyemi. We'll see what the drop-offs like. We'll Luke see what ahead. the upgrade is. Right. Right guys. We'll see what the upgrade is. Anyway. Right. Nice. Evgeny... That's like the first one we've had in the line since number one. Kuzna. Oh, that's true. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> we us. had Johansson at six. Yeah, I don't um, you guys with Johansson. I'm not again, sure. this is the third pick for Kuznetsov. I don't need to say too much. I uh, I looked at the heat map uh, someone sent about his his uh, surprising capabilities, but uh, regardless, I think just you know, player on the surface of Genny Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov. Well done. Good pronunciation. Cam, Cam Fowler for me at eleven. Again, I felt like I had another get another defenseman in here. Um, at some point, and Cam Fowler's been. Uh, up and down this time with Anaheim. I, again, thought he was going to be like a superstar defenseman, you know, probably about five years ago, but he sort of plateaued now and he's a solid top four contributor. And, you know, in terms of this draft class being what it is, I think uh, him going here sort of makes sense. And he, in my opinion, is the second best defenseman in this draft. So I put him there. I know I say this about a lot of players, them being very underrated, but Jaden Schwartz, um, I like Jaden Schwartz a lot. And I have him at Why 11th you put him at eight? Um, Looking at it, I might even have Jaden Schwartz ahead of Ryan Johansson at this point, but we too late to change it. But I'm just oh. letting that be known. Uh, I don't like Ryan Johansson. The more we t- have the show, not a fan. Go ahead, Luke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey Skinner. Uh, he's proved that he can put up a lot of points. Yeah, he's mega inconsistent. But again, just picking for the kind of player they can be. I maybe should have had him higher. Okay. Uh, hold on. Sorry. I just lost my list here. Sorry. Oh yeah. No, I should have known what I was putting next. Uh, just to I go back on the back of what Pat was saying about Jaden Schwartz again, uh, he's a good consistent player, but again, I don't agree with you guys having him so high just because his numbers don't pop quite like some of the other guys ahead of him on my list to me. So I put J- uh, Jaden Schwartz at 12. Um, I will go with, cam fowler here so yeah like nick said I, there was a time in anaheim when i really thought he was going to flourish as a top puck moving uh defenseman did not do so i still think he's a good player it could be in part he's playing for anaheim and anaheim is bad and um let's just pretend luke's reasoning is the same because we're running out of time i'm we back go, with you pat we got to go over 13 yeah uh okay 13 for me guy just got a big ticket a couple of years ago kevin hayes uh Again, very nice underlying numbers for Kevin Hayes. Uh, big forward, one of the underrated power forwards in the league. Uh, sort of a dying art, but again, uh, his point totals have been really good the past couple of years, especially. And I like the player a lot. So Kevin Hayes. Um, I'm gonna go with Justin Falk. Don't like the contract. I don't. I do think he's a little overrated defensively. But good on the power play, good offensive numbers. I've always liked him as a player, Justin Falk. Uh, I, ooh, this fella, that sounds I think, like spite. It looks like spite. 
That's getting um, surrounded by some of the best players in the world probably made him look better <laughs> than he is, but I th- still think he's a good player. So hopefully he can mm-hmm. score one or two in Montreal. Okay. I probably don't have this spelt right. Hey, There's no way you're going to get that on your first. I, I'd be very I, impressed. I actually think I got it. Um, yeah, Nino Niederreiter. I really like the player. Again, somebody we thought was going to be really good, uh, a lot better than he has been, sort of died out towards the end of his time in Minnesota. But, you know, I, I don't I don't think anybody in this draft has as many 20-goal seasons as Nino Niederreiter does. He's been very fine second-line forward his entire career. Kevin Hayes, I hate the contract. Uh, he was mean against the Montreal Canadiens. That really bugged me, but he's a good player and uh, awesome on the penalty kill. I have him at 14. Justin Falk. I'm not even looking at the contract because I'm drafting the guy, so he doesn't have a contract yet. He has to earn it. We'll see. He has to earn it. Luke's demands are really high. Mikhail Granlund is my last pick at 15. Uh, I think he's the most underrated player on this list because the guys had a bunch of or a few 60 point seasons again i think us not having him higher is recency bias because he was not good in his year and a half in nashville but his mm-hmm. time with minnesota he was really really underrated really effective player and i really like Mikhail granlin somebody i think the senators should try and bring in jeffrey skinner mad and consistent terrible contract but can score goals um jeffrey skinner I'm going to go off the board and this guy probably isn't 15, but I really like him as a a player, especially after that trade that happened. He's been a really good player, probably not 15, but a really underrated player. That's Charlie Coyle for the people listening. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Way to go, Uh, Luke. And that does it. That's our one to 15s each. Uh, So we were all in alignment with stone at number one, but uh, clearly, especially into the, you know, last five or so picks, we, uh, Clearly all went different ways. Taylor Hall was a bit divisive. I had him at two. These guys had him both at four. Um, Same thing with Tarasenko. Luke and Pat both had him at three. I'd had him at five, but pretty consistent at the top five. But, you know, obviously as expected, a lot of change as it went on. So that is our 2010 redraft. I do think for the uh, show next week, we will open we will open it by going over this because we did uh, run out of time rather quickly. But some fun facts. None of the original top 10 picks still play for the team that drafted them. Stone, uh, a six-round pick, jumping all the way to the first is pretty cool. Um, biggest disappointments, without a doubt, Goodbranson and Johansson. While we would say the biggest steals because they were so late would be Stone and Gallagher. This is fun. We're going to do this probably on our two-hour show so we can spread out the time a little more and uh, – and sort of get more into it, dive more into it, maybe even do a 30 team uh, redraft, maybe change the format where we're all, we all have to drive draft five players. Um, nonetheless, this was fun. I know it was a bit of a time change for those listening, but uh, this just about does it for us here on barn burner TV network. You can follow myself at Patrick talent 81 on Twitter, Nick at Nikos Robinson and Luke at the Luke Burroughs. I want to remind everyone who tuned into the show that it can be heard on barn burner radio network and it's 122 platforms. Check out all of it on barnburner.ca for all the news updates. Gentlemen, thank you once again. And for all those who tuned in and listen, we'll see you next week.